a couple of years ago, um, um, a fellow meditator told me a very beautiful uh, story of a practicing metta with his uh, daughter, who was uh, a young daughter. Let's say she was eight, I'm not too sure of her age, but um, maybe younger, a little younger. And uh, he was saying that he was uh, teaching her metta. And I have a few other friends who do this with their kids, where they, um, at night before bedtime, they'll just uh, practice together, and the kids will choose who to send metta to. And they'll say, like, okay, I'll the fish. So the family together will say, uh, may all the fish be happy. May all the fish be uh, protected. May all the fish be healthy. And they say, okay, now we'll do uh, all the teachers. Okay, May all the teachers be happy. And so they do this with their kids. I have a friend who has been doing this for a long time, and he says, my teenage uh, teenage boys still want to do this. And so they're like 15 and 16, and they're like, sometimes like, come on, Dad, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so it's very beautiful. And he was saying that's one of the few places where I still have some such uh, beautiful intimacy with them doing this, you know. And um, um, so this uh, this uh, meditator, fellow meditator, was doing this with his uh, daughter, and as soon as he taught her the metta practice that he had just learned for himself, uh, and uh, asked her what she wanted to, um, to uh, who she wanted to send it to, uh, she said, I want to send it to Santa Claus. And he said, he was very surprised because the story was that a few months earlier, uh, at Christmas, in Christmas Eve, the neighbor had uh, knocked on their door and they had opened the door and he was disguised in uh, Santa Claus and he was actually drunk. And uh, it was a man who was actually going through a divorce and having a very difficult time. And so knock on the door, they open the door, and in comes this guy dressed as the Santa Claus, but he's, he's very, like, um, you know, he's, he's not your typical Santa Claus, you know, and is much more frightening than anything else, really. And maybe falls or half falls, and, and anyway, ends up leaving the, the apartment, and the little girl was uh, scared. So when the father uh, tells her about metta and how you can send wishes of well-being to uh, uh, human beings, people, living beings, and uh, he said then she, she chooses first to send uh, metta to Santa Claus. And, uh, and then he said in the following days that they practice, that was the only uh, person that she kept bringing back, you know, that she would be very creative around who she wanted to send metta to. But she kept bringing back Santa Claus. And, uh, and he said he, wa- he was finding this very, very profoundly touching, as if she was recognizing maybe two different things, and we don't know, but maybe two things uh, that come to mind anyway for him and for me is uh, that she was recognizing uh, that maybe that person uh, really needed love more than anybody else, you know, and so maybe there was a recognition of that, or maybe also a recognition that this was a protection. And that's how this practice was first uh, taught, as a protection. Monks and nuns were uh, sent in a particular forest for the rains retreat to be in silence and practice for three months. And uh, apparently they got very scared of the local spirits uh, were... Um, making a lot of noise and appearances, scary appearances, to have them go away. So they did go away, went to see the Buddha, and uh, asked the Buddha if they could change a place for their retreat. And the Buddha thought about it and considered the idea, and he said, no, I think you you can go back there. It's a suitable place for you. It's a calm forest, there's space, there's shade, it's the right temperature, and it's close to a village where people are very generous, and so you'll be well-fed, and uh, it's a good place for you to go, but I'll teach you uh, this, uh, this chant that you'll do, and, uh, and it'll uh, ease the spirits of the trees that are uh, not happy about you being at the f- maybe sitting at the doorstep or, or their, their little uh, um, houses or dwellings. 
And so uh, they learned this uh, chant and went back singing this chant that we were sitting in Eng- uh, singing in English earlier. And apparently uh, really brought ease to the, um, the spirits of the trees. So that's the, you could say, the legend or the story, how it goes. But the way I understand this story is that uh, meta practice, I can imagine myself uh, in the woods and being scared or in my apartment in the center of town sometimes and f- being uh, invaded by all kinds of, in psychology we would say, you know, all kinds of inner demons and uh, difficult emotions and how uh, the practice of metta could ease the mind uh, And so maybe this little girl was recognizing that bringing uh, uh, together the images of Santa Claus and the meta practice could uh, help find resolution and ease the mind around this uh, character of uh, Santa Claus. Anyway, it's a story that I find uh, beautiful and inspiring, and I like the fact that uh, it's kind of intuitive for the little girl, you know, She kept saying every night or every day that they do this practice, let's do this guy, you know, let's, I think we have to spend some time on this guy. And, uh, yeah. So, uh, metta for the difficult person, that's what we started touching on at the last uh, meditation. And um, it's a whole field, and I think that's what I would like to talk some about today, about uh, resentment, forgiveness, forgiveness for oneself, forgiveness for others, and try to uh, just bring this forward and consider some ideas around this. And um, actually there's a bunch of stories that I want to tell, and uh, many of them come from uh, uh, one of my very dear teacher, Jack Cornfield, was a, a whole book on this uh, subject of meta-forgiveness and compassion. And... Um, And many stories are inspiring, and sometimes it's good to go and leave the technicalities and the psychology and go in the realm of of stories to to touch on something deeper or use poetry like I did the other day. Um, And so another story that I find so uh, very beautiful, very touching, is a story of a another African t- tribe that's our second African tribe on this uh, retreat and uh, their name is um, Babemia tribe I think of South Africa uh, South Africa if I'm not mistaken and somehow sometimes I'm thinking is that true you know who knows but if it can serve the purpose of inspiring us I think this one is true. Let's let's take it as it really does exist. So in this tribe, when somebody does something uh, unfair or harmful to some member of the tribe, it's said that a circle is formed and we put uh, that being in the middle of the circle, not tied up or anything, just we put them there. And the whole, uh, the whole uh, community sits in a circle And uh, what is done then is to actually uh, take time. And sometimes it takes a lot of time, uh, maybe depending on on the gravity or the seriousness of what was committed and the the need for deep healing. I would imagine that would be one reason why it would take so much time. People uh, in the community, one by one, would actually find it so touching would actually uh, spend time just telling this person in the circle what good they have done in their lives, reminding uh, them of good deeds, action, words uh, that they have uh, performed or said, to remind them of their goodness. And so uh, you can imagine sitting there and somebody says, well, when my grandmother was sick, when did you help me? This is what you did, you know. You ran to the next village, went to uh, find the medicine man or woman, brought them back in time. And and then somebody else would go, oh, you remember when you were going to school, you were always helping me doing this, you know, tying my shoes, uh, making my bag, uh, whatever. And then you can go on for hours and hours and possibly days 
until the, everything has been said about the goodness, goodness of this being. And then they're welcomed back. Uh, there's a celebration where they're welcomed back in the tribe or community and reintegrated. And, uh, very different than the way we have to we uh, go about in this culture uh, about rein, reinserting uh, people who have uh, done uh, misdeeds or uh, so that's one of the stories uh, a story that I like uh, this one is I think from Alan Wallace uh, it's uh, it's an invitation, a reflection for you. So you could keep your eyes open or close your eyes, but uh, you're invited to imagine that you're coming out of the grocery store with your two full bags of um, you know, goodies, uh, maybe uh, orange juice or vegetable juice and eggs and... Uh, fruits and uh, vegetables and all the goodies that are packing inside you packed inside your bag and then you're walking towards your the parking lot and your car and somebody knocks you like right from the side like bang and everything goes flying and breaks on the floor and so the juice is running all over the place the milk soy milk eggs are broken and you're on the floor and it's hurting you've scratched your legs and uh, and you're you're kind of uh, startled and you and uh, you turn around to say like idiot to talk to this person who knocked you and what do you discover but this person uh, can't see they're blind and they're also trying to find their way what automatically comes up in your heart and mind but uh, probably compassion, the wish for the well-being of the other person, for their safety. Maybe you would right away uh, go and explain to them that it's okay, that you're fine. Uh, ask them how they are. Uh, maybe reorient them so they can find their way. Yeah. Possibility. It's possible that this would be a spontaneous response understanding deeply that they didn't know what they were doing, that they didn't uh, mean it, maybe. That's one way to uh, uh, try considering how people can hurt us, because in a way uh, they can't see uh, what's what, where they're going, uh, the impact of uh, what they're doing. If that one didn't convince you, I have another one. I have several ones. <laughs> I came, like, fully equipped. <laughs> so here's another one. This one is, as, as I find, is touches on the deepest uh, teachings of uh, Buddhism. So imagine you're, it's a beautiful day of summer, and uh, you, you're in town, and there's a beautiful park like there is in many of the most beautiful towns you know uh, Central Park or uh, the Golden Gate Park or Parc La Fontaine or uh, the Rideau Canal Stanley Park Stanley Park choose your park Hyde Park and they rent uh, these little um, uh, bark or little boats you know that you can uh, kind of stroll along so you, you're on your own, it's a beautiful day, and uh, so you rent one, and you, you go uh, around the lake, and you're enjoying yourself, and the swans, and the people walking by, and a beautiful spring day, summer day, and it's, it's gorgeous and warm, and you decide to take a, a little nap in the, in the boat, so you lay yourself in the boat, and you're just looking at the sky, maybe closing your eyes and enjoying the ride and suddenly bang somebody knocks you again these people <laughs> and so you stand, stand stand up or sit up and to look at who's the damn one you know and what do you find but an empty boat 
and uh, and so you understand that there's no one to be angry at, or no one to uh, to uh, to blame for this. And in the deepest Buddhist teaching, we understand, and that's not an easy thing to do. That again might be a lifetime of work. But what we come to understand is that there are cause and effect conditions, like in the situation with the boat. Boat untied, wind going this way, current going this way, me looking there uh, creates this bang. You know, it's not like uh, there is a person. If there was a person in the boat, what, what would be your reaction automatically? Stupido. You know, why didn't they see me? You know, I take a five-minute break, not looking. Why didn't they see me? You know, but if there's no one in the in the boat, then this, you can't be angry at anything. You can just understand that this is what happened. Conditions were such that it led to this happening. Yeah. So that's uh, one way to understand deeply. Uh, how uh, hurt can happen, how wrong speech can happen, how hurtful uh, gesture, attitude can be present in life. Uh, It's not just a person, but several conditions that make this action happen. So when we are angry at somebody, when there is resentment, um, certainly one thing I tried to do, first thing I tried to do when anger comes really strongly in me, I tried to remember first that I'm entering, or I have entered wrong consideration, that I'm uh, in fog somehow. Because if there was clarity that wouldn't be showing up like this. Uh, From the perspective of a free mind and heart, clear mind and heart, the only thing that can arise would be compassion. Uh, And maybe a lot of clarity and uh, setting of boundaries and stuff like this, but also tremendous compassion. An example of this is uh, the Dalai Lama having a conversation with somebody who uh, had spent many, many years... uh, in prison in Tibet and uh, had escaped and found a refuge in India in uh, Dharamsala and the Dalai Lama uh, is reporting somewhere having a conversation with this uh, yogi somebody who had practiced a lot of meditation and the Dalai Lama says I, uh, I, um, I had respect for this guy like I have for everybody but I didn't think of this person as a, one of the greatest yogis you know like my set of known greatest yogis and this here was a being and I was asking this being questions about their uh, detention and uh, being in, uh, imprisoned in Tibet and how it went and, and he said then I went to, I asked a question and my whole perspective on this being changed dram- dramatically he said I asked this person what is the worst uh, that happened to you there Expecting that he would describe some kind of torture that he uh, went uh, through, or some kind of disease that almost killed him, something like this. And so the man took a moment and uh, answered, the worst thing that uh, happened to me is that I almost started hating Mm -hmm. my torturer. And he said, when he said that, He said, then I understood that I was in front of a very special being, having been tortured for, who knows, 15, 20 years. This person had managed to not feel hatred for their torturer because of a deep, deep wisdom that this was conditional, that this being performing this action was a set of condition of lack of wisdom, lack of compassion available in this being, uh, things that were said to this being so they could believe a certain reality that was not, uh, that was not the profound truth of, uh, of how things were, you know. And, 
and also a, a sense of uh, compassion for this being, knowing uh, possibly uh, what kind of mind state they could find themselves in later, having been a torturer, and so what kind of regret, agitation uh, they might be feeling, restlessness, and uh, how they could have to spend so much time justifying their action. Because when you do things like this, it's very, very difficult. You have to, even when we do uh, things harmful to others, we can see how much time it can take for us to try to forget about it, justify it. Justifying can take so much energy. I have the right, I have the right to do this. And you can spend hours in bed at night trying to convince yourself that it was okay to do this or say this, you know, and, and, the, and the, the, the suffering that can come from that. Um, so a deep understanding of cause and effect. Um, and so when, for myself, when I enter uh, anger or resentment, I, my first step is to recognize, okay, Pascal, you're wrongly considering the situation. There's a deeper way to see this, and it's not available right now. So I have to act with uh, much, much care, because the, mm, this mind state is very fiery, very convincing, and shows me a, a, a kind of reality that, uh, uh, that would make me act and do things that I might myself regret later. So the importance of slowing down and saying, okay, how can I consider this uh, differently? And there's a, there are a few things that I, uh, yeah, I think it's a good word, like to do. I actually like to do this because I see that my heart doesn't want to stay in this environment, uh, difficult environment. So uh, some thoughts are uh, considering that... Uh, this person uh, is the product of a history. So what kind of history? I, I try to use my imagination to, to think what kind of history can, I, can lead to this? What kind of states of mind uh, can lead to doing what they've do, they done? You know? So probably in a certain amount of confusion some uh, compassion and wisdom not available and uh, probably uh, things that have happened in their life where there was a maybe a wrong conclusion about stuff that you needed to get stuff before people get them uh, before you you know like some some kind of wrong beliefs that uh, fuel uh, some of their actions and words you know possibility of the presence of fear yeah? and so to cons- try to consider this instead of uh, building the anger trying to go the other the other way another thing that I like to think of is is it possible for this person to change and so bringing the old teaching that is very present in Buddhism of Anicca we talk about this a lot impermanence things change they can change and so sometimes when there's a, a conflict with somebody, I solidify them. This is how they are. This is how they have always been. This is, and then I, so I try to see like, okay, is change possible here or not possible at all? You know. And then that can bring a little ease. And consider also maybe, uh, is this so solid that this is how they are? Or from the point of view of somebody else, they're seen differently from the point of view of their daughter or father or somebody else in their environment might see them actually as a a god or goddess or hero and could I admit this (laughs) in my mind you know Uh, so that's another consideration another one is uh, that uh, in a special circumstances uh, where there would be maybe an urgency an emergency a danger maybe that person could actually save my life do something if the conditions were different and right they could do something extremely generous and uh, an, an example I have of this is somebody I worked with many many years ago 
And there were several of us who agreed that this person was kind of, I think we referred to this person as a shark often in this uh, work environment. And, and uh, very, had a lot of selfishness going on, a lot of uh, kind of greed stuff. And I remember being very touched one day when I was in the car with this person and we had to break really uh, quickly. There was something happened. And the first, uh, th- this person was driving and the first thing they did was to protect me with their arm. And I was in shock because it's not something that you see every day, you know. And I've seen myself breaking with having people in the car and I haven't seen my hand go out <laughs> to protect somebody. <laughs> Or certainly not every time, you know. And but when this person did, did this to me, and the first thing was like, "Are you all right? I'm sorry, I had to break." You know, I, I can't even remember why. Suddenly, my whole vision—I could not possibly go back to this very solid. There was a gap. Suddenly, there was a hole in my picture of this person. You know that I wanted to protect. As this is the shark, is a shark. You know, <laughs> and suddenly. The, that didn't hold on anymore so much because there was this thing and years after although this person has done things that were unskillful to me and to others that I know still this little gesture that they've done remains in my heart it's something that I cannot take out of my mind and I'm uh, I'm, uh, grateful for for having uh, been a witness to this and so that's something that I try to bring in my uh, thinking. If there was an emergency, if there was an, some kind of incident, what could this person do uh, to me or to somebody else? That, and then sometimes it uh, can help bring ease and just bring a different perspective because the anger, the resentment is driving all the thoughts in one direction and the perception in one direction. And I want to break this as much as I can, in any way that I, that I can, yeah. And so this applies also to um, oneself. In the forgiveness practice, we, uh, and it might have happened to you this weekend, that, uh, okay, so you're doing metta to somebody and the resentment comes, and you see that there is, there has to be some forgiveness work uh, that has to be done there. But it might be also uh, in the, the, the other direction where I feel suddenly by doing the metta practice or being in silence during the weekend, uh, things come up, memories come up that I'm not too proud of. You know? And the danger would be to start uh, blaming and hating myself. And so there's a need, a need to do some forgiveness practice also for self. And uh, uh, there's one kind of a, a reflection that is very similar about the cause and condition that leads somebody to do what they do or say what they do that we can apply to ourselves. And for me, it came in a, a time where I was sitting on retreat and uh, uh, Sylvia Borstein, a very dear teacher, <coughs> was... Uh, uh, offering some teaching, and then she talked about this, and, and uh, she was talking about something that uh, she was talking about forgiveness, basically. And she was saying, at some point, it could not have been otherwise. Conditions were such that it could not have been otherwise. And she said this at the time where I was reflecting on something that I had done that I was really not proud of. I had a lot of shame and guilt and blaming going on around that thing. It was very much unresolved. And when she said this, I just it just got to me very deeply that at that time, and that thing had happened maybe six or eight years prior uh, in the past, and still unresolved. And it just like deeply, uh, I think I could say, solve this thing in, with just these words, it could not have been otherwise. The conditions were such that it could not have been otherwise. And my understanding of this was this being at that time had that amount of wisdom available, that amount of greed going on, that amount of wanting, that, that amount of confusion that this thing 
was going to bring them happiness. They really believed that this thing was going to bring them happiness and that they had to get it. And uh, uh, so things like this I understood. And also that it was not just like what was inside this being, but the culture around this being uh, was such that it was it didn't prevent this from happening. And so it was happening in a whole environment. Actually, I think I may as well tell you the tell you the, the, the complete story because there's there's a richness to it because I was trying to I, sh- I shouldn't do that okay. so um, when I was 24 years old 24 or 25 I learned that I was HIV positive and so there was a lot of uh, blaming going on and guilt uh, going on certainly some amount of it I think I've met people who had worse than, than I did but there was this heaviness and so when Sylvia said that, I understood that being a young gay man with having received no healthy models of sexuality uh, uh, for a queer person, uh, a person looking for happiness, look, and having all kinds of strange role models in that area, in the 90s, because if it had happened in the 30s, it would have been something different. But in the 90s, you know, uh, it could not have been the HIV if it was at, at any other time, you know. But at that time, or maybe now, but at that time, the conditions were such that it could not be otherwise. A young men looking for connection in, in different ways, not skillful, not having the wisdom or the help of a mentor or somebody... Uh, so everything led to this happening so you understand how how suddenly there was like forgiveness hey my love, it's okay it could not have been otherwise it was such, at this age all the conditions that I'm naming and probably more conditions but it could not have been otherwise this is what happened and so what I find very very beautiful in this Buddhist path that we often call the middle way for me, the middle way is exactly... Uh, this is an example of this. So the middle way is that you don't fall in the extreme of blaming, neither yourself nor the other, but now we're talking about self. So you don't fall in the extreme, crazy uh, uh, attitude or way of blaming oneself and guilt-tripping. And this is a lot of... Uh, when I'm bad and I'm bad, this is a lot of ego... Uh, Making and a lot of selfing going on. This is not skillful in any way, not helpful to anybody, not helpful for better behavior in the future for this being, not helpful for people around this being, not helpful. This is an extreme that is to be avoided at all cost, blaming, guilt tripping. Uh, and the other extreme would be not being responsible, nor irresponsible. Don't care, this is how it was. The middle path is exactly in the middle. It happened. It's there. What do I do with this? In the case of the HIV, it's the importance of taking care of one's health and the health of people around, you know, in that case. In another case, it will be, okay, no blaming, no judgment, no guilt tripping, but no like, oh, you know, things happen because of condition I don't... No, the responsibility, not... not uh, yeah, that's the word I want to use. Responsibility, like a mature responsibility. It's like In this case, what is needed is to go and ask for forgiveness to this person. In this case, is to give this back. In this case, case is to... And whatever is the responsible, mature thing to do. Yeah, And so an extreme would be that one of like, oh, it's our cause and condition, that's how it was. And No, the middle path is right in the middle where we take responsibility, but we don't... Uh, own it in a non-skillful way yeah? um, so that's what I find very beautiful about this practice that is shown here so I recognize oh this is here and, and with this often will come uh, something else than guilt what we call spiritual uh, regret so it means that uh, we can recognize that an action or a speech or a s- state of mind or attitude is not helpful 
but it's there's no identification. It doesn't make it me. There's a recognition that this was not helpful. It caused harm, and we can feel that. We can feel it. It's not a pleasant experience. It's called spiritually unpleasant. It means it's unpleasant, but it's not tying us. It's not creating more misery. It's unpleasant, but it's liberating. Because I can say, not helpful, caused harm, and feel it, feel the difficulty of it, but stop right there. And then what is the wholesome action to do around this? Is it to let it go and move on? Is it, in many of the cases, most of the cases, it will be to form the intention that in a similar situation, this would not be the choice that would be made, or the words that would be spoken, to reset the intention, a very strong intention in the next situation, similar situation, not to close down, uh, not to, uh, not to uh, act on the greed that is present, not to act on the fear, not to act on the desire to, for vengeance and the slight cruelty that is in the mind, you know. Because that happens to us. and But the strong intention to recognize the presence of this and not act on it. Yeah. So this is the beautiful middle path. And so this middle path we can also apply to other beings. So it means I don't blame the person. I don't hate the person. I don't create a, a whole solid self around it. And I don't say, oh, no, I don't mind. I don't mind when I actually do mind. It did hurt, you know. But the middle path is, this happened, and what needs to be done about this? It might be that I need to sit with the person and say, hey, this was done, this was harmful. So I don't identify the behavior with the person. I recognize the behavior as a, an, uh, a behavior that is not uh, uh, something I want to uh, encourage or accept again. But I don't mix it with the, the being that is there. Even in the case of uh, things of the past, the way I sometimes like to think of it is that, especially if I do the good work around what happened, I can th- I can I can feel free to think, this is not me who did that. The person who did that doesn't exist anymore, because the person who is here knows much more because of that experience and other experience knows a lot more. This this person here is not that person there that did this action. It's a different being. This being is already transformed. You know? And you can see for yourself if it has value or if it uh, would be a, a way to hide. That would certainly not be the, the intention here to hide. Um, yeah. So, there's a, a man named... Uh, some Mr. Long, Longfellow, I think, said, uh, but I'm going to paraphrase here. If, uh, if we could uh, look uh, into the history, the story of our enemy, we would find in there enough sorrow and hurt uh, that uh, forgiveness would arise immediately. And, uh, and connection would uh, come in its place. Yeah. That's more or less what he says. That if we could look and see our uh, enemy's history and stories, we would be touched. We would understand the nature of uh, the, the predicament of being a human being. It's not an easy thing, being a human being. And, and uh, it's not an easy thing to... Um, to find clarity and to find uh, uh, the qualities of mind that are wholesome. Even with, uh, with having developed uh, some amount of wisdom, in my case, I, I think I developed a little amount of wisdom, I find myself constantly confused about what to do next. Should I talk? Should I not talk? Should I say it? Uh, you know, it's it's never that clear. We live in a realm where there's a, a lot of um, uh, moral dilemma showing up all the time, on a daily basis. Do I keep silence? Do I reveal? If 
I reveal what's going to be the outcome, if I keep silence, what am I motivated by? Often it's not even clear. I, f- I think I'm motivated by generosity only to find out uh, 20 minutes later that actually it was not exactly uh, generosity. I was fooling myself. You know? I don't know if it's the same for you. but uh, And so to be uh, kind with oneself and to start uh, to keep aiming again towards more good, towards clearer, uh, wholesome intentions. And to own it, you know, when I fail to actually be okay with it. It's a very humbling uh, path, the path of uh, awakening and, uh, and being uh, on uh, the path of honesty. It's very humbling, but it's okay. So uh, maybe a little uh, reflection here. Okay. I invite you to close your eyes if you want. <clears throat> and think of uh, somebody, again, with whom there is some uh, tension, irritation, frustration, conflict, unresolved uh, business. And think about the, the situation, the, the circumstances that are uh, um, irritating. And see if you can uh, you can uh, own take responsibility for, for something in there. Three ways that you might have uh, hurt this other person uh, in your action or thoughts or in your speech. You could even go as far as uh, asking them forgiveness for three things. Maybe um, maybe now you could uh, think of uh, three things that uh, you want to thank them for. Three things they have given you. Maybe qualities that they have helped uh, helped you build in yourself. Capacity to stand up or be a better friend to yourself. Or there are three things that they offered you in a way now we could think of uh, one uh, way we could help the situation. It could be uh, in terms of uh, inner attitude or something we could say or do or just imagine doing. if you want to finish the exercise, just uh, spend a moment wishing well to this person, wishing them well. And, uh, maybe you might even, uh, if just if you want and it seems appropriate, tell them that you do love them. 
when we practice uh, forgiveness, I want to make it very clear that uh, it's not like uh, we forget. Forgetting and forgiving is very, very different things. So in the teachings we say, we don't forget, we know that an action was harmful, that something didn't work. We know that. Yet we can forgive the person, but not forget the action. These are two different things. And also that it might uh, be very well uh, right to actually decide to uh, cut the bridge with somebody. And it's not because we do forgiveness practice that we have to start hanging out with everybody uh, from our past, you know. And uh, it might be very okay to decide that uh, we're going to go separate ways, you know, or stay at some distance from a person. But it doesn't uh, uh, keep us from wishing them well, in a way. Maybe just before we look at the forgiveness uh, phrases and and classic practice, just to say, I'll tell you a little story of uh, um, one time I was uh, on retreat and uh, some things happened and I was very uh, angry at uh, a group of teachers that were uh, leading the retreat. And uh, I really thought I had been wronged and... uh, uh, you know, so I, w- I was feeling anger and distress, and yeah, anger was the main <laughs> feeling I had. And uh, one day uh, at, v- uh, at this retreat, they said uh, the manager came and they said, "Oh, the group of teachers who are teaching, uh, they would like to uh, instead of eating uh, in the dining hall or in." The, um, at the meal time, at the dinner time, they would like to eat in the room up there, behind this, you know, kind of far away, uh, so that they could have a good meal and chat and laugh together and stuff. And would any of the yogis offer to actually set the table, go down, get the meal, bring the meal up, and clean after the after the the meal? So it was kind of a, a job, you know, <laughs> it involved a few steps there. And uh, when I heard that, to my surprise, I raised my hand. And the way it happened is like I had heard a couple of years before one of my teachers say, when you're angry at somebody, there's two things you can do. Is first, instead of telling them what's happening, ask them how it is from their side of the reality. What's going on for them? What led them to... Be very curious about what's going on for them. Another thing that uh, you can do is actually be generous. Do a small gesture of generosity. It can break something in your heart. And so when the manager, I just like, I was very surprised, like, oh my God, you know. (laughs) Why not actually hate these guys, you know. And here I'm going to serve them a meal. And so I started serving the meal. And my whole relationship changed where I started actually taking care of them, you know setting the table, bringing the food, and it was uh, making me feel very uh, uh, vulnerable, but not in a dangerous, in a very open way. I I felt very privileged and and wanting to take care of them. And and I saw how they were also because they would laugh, and then I would open the door, come in with soup or something, and they would all get quiet for a moment, let me put the soup soup down. They knew I was a yogi in silence. They would close the door, and then they would... Continue that conversation, and it was very touching to me. They, they, wow, they really respect this uh, yogi's silence. You know, it's very generous of them, and so. But I didn't forget what had happened. But I was able to sit my whole retreat, which was several weeks, and at the end of the retreat, was able to sit uh, with uh, with them or one of them, and tell them what had happened at the beginning of the retreat and what I I felt that I could actually address now because I was not so charged anymore. I could say, so this happened and that happened and it led to that and then that other thing happened and then I got really confused and really angry. And so they were able to hear me and say like, oh, we'll make sure that this never happens again because we can see how distressful this was, you know. And so there was a resolve, uh, resolving happening uh, because of this uh, particularly this little point of trying to be uh, and I really uh, it was an act of faith you know because I I didn't know it would work I had never done a thing like this it was really a practice that I decided to uh, to try try on so 
there was a one little thing that you might remember one day and uh, and and actually since then that's something that I've practiced many times and uh, uh, a small gesture very small gesture and I see how my heart uh, can switch to a different rapport with the person and start really uh, give myself the chance to care for another being and uh, and again it doesn't mean I forget what has happened but I can find more space in this heart because basically this whole practice is that it's not for the other that we do it it's mainly for because it's so hard to keep somebody out of our heart it's so painful sometimes we do this for a long long time years but it is painful for us and I've seen this uh, in my family uh, some people who have kept other people out of their heart and it's so painful for them also for, for everybody involved and uh, so, uh, okay, let's look at the phrases because they're very, uh, very beautiful. And so in the forgiveness practice, there's three ways to practice. There's the forgiveness that I offer somebody for the harm that they might have caused me. There's a forgiveness that I can ask for the harm that I've caused. And the third one is the forgiveness that I offer myself for the harm that I've caused other and caused myself. And so I'll, uh, you can, again, close your eyes if you want. And uh, you might think of somebody or just listen to the, the sentences. So if I have hurt you intentionally or unintentionally through thoughts, speech, or actions, I ask for your forgiveness. So you can, maybe somebody comes to mind that you have hurt in the past or think you might have hurt. And you might think these words, if I have hurt you intentionally or unintentionally through thoughts, speech, or action, I ask for your forgiveness. For the ways that you have hurt me, intentionally or not, through your thoughts, speech, or actions, I forgive you. Or, I forgive you to the extent that I can right now. Or, I have the intention to forgive you. That's very important. It's not like we have to do this now but to set the heart in a direction, you know. It could even take the form of, you bastard, I am intending to forgive you <laughs> one day. You're not going to win. <laughs> and I love this, um, this part of the practice. I have the intention to forgive you. It's a really recognition that it might not be possible right now. But uh, the setting of intention is extremely powerful. And I forgive myself for all the ways that I have harmed others and myself, intentionally or not, through thoughts, speech, or action. another one here in many ways I have hurt others I have betrayed or abandoned them I made them suffer consciously or not because I was suffering too out of fear anger or confusion so I forgive myself for that
one time I was reading a book from um, a monk named Ujotika. Uh, that's the title of the book. Snow in Summer, I think. And there was a sentence that uh, I read that I, I really loved uh, reading. And he, he wrote, I have done unwholesome things in my life. It's not possible to do otherwise. Now I am trying to practice the Dharma, and I'm happy about that. So I thought it was so simple and beautiful. I have done unwholesome things in my life. It's not possible to do otherwise. There's a recognition that to be a human being is a very, very uh, difficult thing. That uh, all kinds of energies uh, and and, uh, states of mind come and visit and we can be uh, get confused easily and that uh, so many conditions and they go so fast and they change so fast that it's impossible not to do unwholesome things for us and for others too it's just impossible but for us here this weekend we can think uh, but we're trying to practice cleaning our act in a way you know and uh, we can be happy about that Maybe I'll end this talk with um, a classic uh, poem from uh, Thich Nhat Hanh called uh, Call Me By My True Names. You might have heard this. Do not say uh, that I'll depart tomorrow because even today I still arrive. Look deeply. I arrive in every second to be a bud on a spring branch, to be a tiny bird with wings still fragile, learning to sing in a new nest, to be a caterpillar in the heart of a flower, to be a jewel hiding itself in a stone. I still arrive in order to laugh and to cry, in order to fear and to hope. The rhythm of my heart is the birth and the death of all that are alive. I am the may fly metamorphosing on the surface of the river, and I am the bird which, when spring comes, arrives in time to eat the mayfly. I am the frog swimming happily in a clear pond, and I am also the grass snake who, approaching in silence, feeds itself on the frog. I am the child in Uganda, all skin and bones, my legs as thin as bamboo sticks, and I am the armed merchant selling deadly weapons to Uganda. I am the twelve-year-old girl, refugee on a small boat, who throws herself into the ocean after being raped by a sea pirate. And I am the pirate, my heart, not yet capable of seeing and loving. My joy is like spring, so warm it makes flowers bloom in all walks of life. My pain, if like a river of tears, so full it fills the four oceans. Please call me by my true names so I can hear all my cries and laughs at once so I can see that my joy and pain are one. Please call me by my true names so I can wake up and so the door of my heart can be left open the door of compassion. my wish would be that uh, we learn how to be fully engaged with life, all aspects of it, the difficult, 
the beautiful, the boring, the in-between times, the high times, the low times, to be uh, engaged in a wholesome way, in a free way. Thank you for your attention. And, uh, one more time, bon appétit. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.